I was deeply moved yesterday and um, I feel the message was probably God speaking to me to take back to Nigeria where the divisions are on the increase and they're intended by Satan to stop us from taking the love of God across borders. And I want to thank my brother Harold for bringing that powerful message yesterday and for the practical demonstration. The good thing about the cross is that when you lay your burdens there, please don't pick them back again. Just forget them there. Because there are times when we're newly married and we're struggling to understand each other. And we had a rule with Gloria that every evening we needed to pray together. In the mornings, we all did our separate devotions. We didn't have any babies. But in the evenings, we must pray and close the day before bed. And like young marriages, I don't know how they are here, but in our culture, young marriages, you're first of all pretty shy of each other. And nobody wants to offend the other. Then I'm a bit sensitive because when I have done something wrong, the temperature in the house seems to be dictated by Gloria. You can feel it. You can actually feel something is wrong. So when I come in and I try to say, hey, hello, young lady, and the response is not, you just feel something is wrong. Then I become sensitive and try to be a little bit more clever to say, okay, okay, let's eat something. What do you want me to bring for you? Shall I bring this and all of that? She will not rebuff it immediately, but she will say, it's all right. And once I begin to hear those short wave sentences, I knew that things are not all right. (laughs) So when we come to pray, after I've read the Bible, uh, I usually do lead the prayers. But this time around, I'll say, "Uh, Gloria, could you lead us in prayer? Could you say the prayer for us? And then the prayer goes something like this. Lord Jesus, we want to thank you for a great day, and we're so grateful for giving us a place to sleep and food to eat, and I just want to thank you because you know what Ben did. He did this, that. (laughs) And I would stop the prayers immediately. I said, come on, Gloria, come on, Gloria, please, please, please. I mean, why would you report me to God? (laughs) I would rather you report me to my dad or mom, but when it goes to God, I mean... (laughs) I'm in trouble. And you know, when you take your sins to the cross, please leave them there. Because when you go back again, you're reporting yourself to God. It don't make sense. Thank you, Brother Harold. Tonight, I want us to read a profound verse. And from the first Bible reading, 
my heart was ministered to by a brother Ian and I have since been blessed by his ministry his exposition of God's word and I feel he's done laid the grounds for us to look at John chapter 3 and verse 16 I'll read from verse 16 to 21 John chapter 3, verse 16 to 21. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. The people love darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Dear God, we're gathered here, we've come here on our own to hear you talk and speak to our hearts. And we thank you, Lord, for providing this tent and all who have labored in it and all who have put in their sacrifice to make New Horizon available for you to meet with us and us with you. And we pray that you speak to us concerning your unconditioning love. Your love that knows no bounds, no conditions. Your love that is, is so great that you love the world you created. May we know this tonight. May we not only know it, but accept and receive it. That we may become your conduits of love to the world. And we ask it in faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Growing up as a child, I've heard this verse said by my mother, by my grandfather who was a pastor, by my father. And I know the verse by heart, especially verse 16. But until when I accepted Jesus Christ, did I begin to understand the love of God for me. And it was personal. Because up to that point, I had believed that nobody loves me because I was so terrible. And it is true I was. In some ways, I didn't know how to do right. And everything I did went wrong. Even when I chose to do right and I put the whole effort to do what was right, 
Somewhere along the line, something went wrong. I remember my mother once, I had put every effort from morning till evening to show that I was changed and I had done everything right, and she was quite pleased. Then she asked me to bring my father's flask and teacups just for her to clean them up and prepare them for my daddy's tea. And I went happily and picked them up as I was coming out. A nail by the door held my sleeve. And the whole thing on the floor and the flask broke. Of course, my mother, Benji, I know. You will never do anything right. So I stopped doing even what was right. I accepted defeat and I continued to do what was wrong. Until the day Jesus came into my heart. And it was personal to me that Jesus loves me. And I was so excited that Jesus loves me. Even if the world hates me, Jesus loves me. And that was a big thing for me. A very big thing for me. And now Jesus is taking a discussion at a night time with Nicodemus. Nicodemus actually visited Jesus by night. Firstly, he was a Jewish ruler, a member of the Sanhedrin, and they had had questions about Jesus, and they were worried about Jesus because of the miracles he was doing, because of the teachings that he was bringing out from God's word. And I wish all of us came every morning to hear how these teachings of the Old Testament laid the foundation for Jesus, pouring it out about God in his creation, God in his activity in the nation of Israel, and about God with the nations of the world, and how God is active now. As he was then, he still is active now in history. Nicodemus' problems were many. They are the usual human problems. He has grown as a religious leader. He's always been in the church. For our own generation, that's what we know. He's been in the council and probably in the diocesan's board. He's a very senior church man. He gives his tithes. He gives his time. And he even teaches and occasionally preaches if the bishops allow him to. But Jesus was teaching something new in his ears. And he wanted to know some more. What is this teaching Jesus is bringing about sitting with prostitutes? Going around with drug addicts, dropouts, madmen becoming sane, blind people sighted. Lepers healed, going into the homes of prostitutes and sitting with all kinds of people. In fact, at one point, Herod was disturbed and he sent for Caiaphas. And said to him, I hear there's a new king in town. And Caiaphas said to Herod, Your Excellency, uh, you don't have to worry. Are you talking about that king, the king of lepers, of prostitutes, of the blind and lame, the king of drug addicts and beggars? Is that a king? That's not a king. 
Don't let your heart be troubled. Caiaphas was right. Because that is God. God does not hate anyone. God loves everybody. But Nicodemus is troubled. Because as a religious man, he's always thought in his imagination, you had to be righteous to be accepted by God. And you, ha- you, you needed a lot of effort to do that. To keep yourself, at least in the eyes of men, clean and pure. That is quite decent as a gentleman, I must say. But for you, not for God. And Nicodemus was getting troubled. All this effort, Jesus, are you saying that God loves all these horrible people you've gathered to yourself? What about me? I've worked so very hard all these years to be righteous. What happens to me? Jesus said to him, except a man be born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said, okay, Jesus, so how do we solve this problem? Do you mean at my age, and he was probably close to 70 or a little bit more, at my age, do you mean I should go back into my mother's womb so that I come back again? In answering his question, Jesus takes a long discourse to this verse. But you see, Nicodemus' problem is not far away. Even though I was born again at about 19, and by 20, I heard very clearly that God wants me into ministry full time. And I prayed over it, and I felt sincerely that, you know, with the kind of love that's in my heart, if I got some training, I'm going to preach the gospel all over Nigeria and every nook and cranny of Nigeria in my own ideas at that time would have been saved by now because I, was, I wanted the whole of Nigeria saved and perhaps I would have been heading into other parts of Africa by now. So I went to seminary, 22. I didn't last two weeks in my first day in the seminary. It was assignments and assignments and assignments. And I said, Excuse me, I'm here to learn the Bible because I want to preach. And my teachers, bless them, they said, Ben, you've got to do these assignments before you preach. I struggled through for four years. When I finished four years, I was ordained and I said, thank God, now we can start preaching. And then I was sent to a parish, my first job. When the day I arrived, I just dropped my suitcases they asked me to conduct a funeral for the child of my sexton who had just died that morning. And I'd never been to a mortuary all my life. I'm scared of death. Now I had to go and visit the mortuary to pick a little baby to bury. When I finally got a house, I dropped my boxes. I said, well, what I now need is a wife. And if I could get married, my problems will be over. year and a half later, I got married. And I was so excited and happy. 
first problem, second week of our marriage, because I, I lived, uh, I, was a, I was a friend of many people in the city. I was a friend of, it was in my house that music practice, drama practice came to take place. So the only place I could find my quiet was in the bathroom, in the toilet. So I had my little stool, my devotional books, everything, so that, because we were all young men. I mean, they, everybody gets into, about three or four of us in my bedroom and Palo and so on, many young men. So I would, if I wanted a quiet, I'd go into the toilet, lock it up, and sit down there for an hour. <laughs> I'd forgotten that I was by now married, so I ran again to the toilet only to discover my Bible and things were not there. And I was furious, but newly married, I couldn't show it, so I just came out and I said, Gloria, did you take my Bible away from the bathroom? She said, yes. I said, no, no, I need it. She said, you don't keep Bibles in toilets. <laughs> I said, young lady, this is my house. She said, no, it's mission house. It's our house. I'd forgotten that I was now married. <laughs> that little argument became the mark of our house morning, afternoon, and evening because my house was now totally rearranged. I didn't know where my socks were kept anymore. <laughs> I used to walk into the kitchen, cook my things, ate everything directly from the pot. Now I have to ask where the... And then before I knew it, a little baby came and I had hardly understood my wife. Now we have this little baby. We don't even know what to do with it. In those days, the napkins, you'd put a pin, and I was scared of her not puncturing the stomach and was struggling with that. And meanwhile, she's trying to correct me, and I said, no, that's not how to do with the baby. You see, rashes are coming, let's put dusting powder, and the baby will cry some more until one woman intervenes and says, no, it's not dusting powder, you put a Vaseline. I said, oh, I didn't know, but Gloria too doesn't know. So we were quarreling over a poor little baby before we knew the second child has come. We have hardly understood each other. Now we have two little lines that we don't even understand. And then she's always complaining. My house was here and the church was just by the gate down there, walking distance, and yet she will come late. And I said, why do you come to church late? Oh, Ben, you're not helping me. Okay, I wake up 4.30 in the morning. I bath the baby. She will still come late. What's wrong with women? Before you know it, I was now 40 years old. <laughs> and I said, Lord, and the children have increased and we had only one car. Ben, I need the car. I said, no, Gloria, I want to have a board meeting. No, you need the car. Okay, I'll take a taxi. We were quarreling over a car. The children are growing. They've broken a hand. Somebody has broken the door. Someone has broken the bed. Oh. Before you know it, by September, I'll be 60. That is after paying school fees and everything, university, and having children who were hell-bent on serving the devil and sleepless nights and hypertension and prayers and casting of demons and traveling to Ireland and traveling to the U.S. and traveling to Uganda and traveling to South Africa. And I wonder what I need a house for. <laughs> Hardly spent three months in my house last year. And I asked the same questions Nicodemus asked. 
Lord, what is it in this life? You tell me, how many days of your life would you say, of whatever number of your lives are now, how many of those days would you say, you really have enjoyed this life so much that you don't want to live this life? Think about it. How many days of your life have you really enjoyed? And by now, Nicodemus' age is telling on him, he's looking at death because at this age, you're nearer your grave. I mean, when you're young, you don't think of the grave. You always think some old man should die. Some old woman, oh yeah, they're dead. Okay, they're all sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. But guys, you're coming the same direction. Don't you know, young people? I didn't know that. We're going that way too. From the day you're born, you've left the womb, you're heading to your grave. And Nicodemus is wondering, what will happen to me when I see God face to face? Help me, Jesus. All my religious activities, all my religiosity, what is it worth? Let me tell you, friends, Every thing that you have acquired or accomplished or achieved in this life comes to nothing unless and until it is propelled and done by the love and in the love of God. Only the things done in the love of God will be celebrated in eternity. Hallelujah. Only the things done in the love of God will be celebrated in eternity. As a young priest and up to this age, I have buried so many people. <laughs> Actually, I'm waiting for my own funeral. I've already written my service. <laughs> all the hymns that will be sung is already made. Because I'm shocked, honestly, that I have lived this long. I am surprised. When I held my grand, first grandchild last year, I was in tears and people didn't know why because I said, I didn't know I would live this long to see my grandchild. I'd written my funeral long ago. From 1987 at the first attempt on my life up to the subsequent attempts. Actually, it was in 1987 I concluded. I built my coffin, a small plastic coffin, and put the ashes of my house, the ashes of Gloria's kitchen, the ashes of the church, my communion cup, and a cross that someone gave to Gloria in Germany. It's a golden cross. It doesn't spoil. And I made it into a small coffin, and I carried it along. Anywhere I go. If you came to my house today, you walk into my living room, that is the first thing you will see on the wall. Because I had concluded in 1987 that any day I lived after that was extra time. Until this minute, I'm living on extra time.
Nicodemus was troubled. And I think we should be troubled with Nicodemus because what's your life? What are you struggling to achieve outside of the love of God? And as a pastor, I've conducted so many funerals and I've looked at people go down the grave. I buried my father, I buried my mother, I buried Gloria's father. I've seen people go down the grave. I remember teasing Gloria's dad, he's a king. And I, he's a king, and I said to him, Daddy, now that I've married your daughter, how many heads of cows would you give me from your herds of cows? And he said to me, five. After 10 years of marriage, I went to ask him, how many have my cows delivered? He said, they were all male. <laughs> they don't deliver. I said, you mean there are still five? He said, yes. I said, you are tricking me, you, this old man. Then he fell ill. And we had to take him to Joss. So we brought him all the way to Joss. And we brought him to the hospital. Now all his children were gathered. Gloria's older sisters, brothers, everybody was gathered around him. And he said he didn't know if he went in, he would come out. But that he now began to tell them he had 200 heads of cows somewhere else. Another set of cows with somebody and somewhere Another Over a thousand cows this man had. God was merciful to us. He recovered. So he had to recoup in my house. So I said to him, <laughs> you understand the joke now I said to him daddy you said to me I had only five heads of cows and that they were all male and some have died of disease before you went into theater I heard what you said you had over a thousand heads of cattle you were trying to trick me <laughs> he laughed and laughed he was a great friend of mine he died in the end when he died we were not even interested in his inheritance the point I'm making is this. The heaps of things we gather, they fade in history as soon as we die. Only what you give to somebody now is yours. You can only give what is yours. You cannot give what is not yours. And Jesus nails it to Nicodemus. He said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, Jesus Christ, his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have life eternal. God has never stopped loving his world. God created the whole world. He loves his children. He loves his animals. He loves his seas. He loves the sky. He loves the bed. He has not changed his mind about his love for the world. From Genesis, from the beginning of creation, he's not changed his mind. If he didn't want to love you, you would not have been born. And folks, we're the one who describes the kinds of people we like and the kinds of people we don't like. God has no such descriptions. You may be seeing Ben Kwashi as a short man, bald head, not handsome. Excuse me, tell Gloria that. She loves me. <laughs> You're the ones who look out. this one is tall, this one is fat. Oh no, this one is handicapped, this one is blind, this one is deaf. God loves the world.
Stop feeling bad about yourself. God loves you. As you are. Black, yellow, red, white, green, blue, purple. God loves you. I don't know where we got racism from, but it's part of the sectarianism because it benefits us. It damages God's image. Nicodemus was hearing this truth as though for the first time. He's been reading it from Genesis, but didn't understand it. He's read it. He's even taught it, but didn't understand it. One of the dangers of teaching and reading without understanding is that you will be as dumb as the people you pass it to. No wonder they were groping in darkness until Jesus came. And thank God Jesus came. Hallelujah. God loves the world. And I think that needs to stick down. Because if we do not understand this love of God for the world, we will be restricting our We'll be restricting God. We'll be creating conditionalities for love of God. Whereas, God loves the whole world equally. The whole world, everybody, equally. And we may even be falling short in showing the love of God, if we choose who to show the love to and who not to show the love to. In fact, we may even be condemned by God if we restrict his love passing through us to other people. As I will explain shortly, because in the missional of God, and God, the chief missioner from Genesis, He's always been looking after the fall of man. He's always been looking for how to redeem humanity and redeem the world. And if we are not participating in the mission of God, we actually will be participating with the devil in wishing that people perish. So to be missional is actually to imbibe and accept the love of God so that we become the conduits of passing that love to the whole world. But to refuse to do a mission is to wish some people to perish. And that is the devil's wish. It's not God's wish. God wishes and, and, and wants the whole world saved and redeemed. And how did he do it? He gave his only son. One and only son, no other. There has never been a plan B with God, Ian tells us. It's this plan. And the only way in which salvation will be made complete to satisfy the wrath of God is that this only son came in human form and he was crucified on the cross. And I like this cross when I saw it yesterday because 
He wasn't crucified in secret. He was crucified in the open. My friends, if CNN and BBC were around that time, during the crucifixion, we would have been getting an up-to-date report every second. The journalists will be saying, Peter now, so what's happening? And saying, we don't know, he's just gone to the cross. And they'll say, no, he's on the cross, he's not public. And it will be public. The cross of Jesus Christ and his death on the cross is beyond human fabrication. It was a public event. There were witnesses. It is a well-known event. The governor who signed his death warrant is known. His name was Pontius Pilate. The certificate of his death was signed by the governor. The soldiers were there. Onlookers were there. Secular historians wrote about this event in history. And he took the sins of the whole world. All of it. There is no amount of sin too big that the cross cannot satisfy. There's none. To show how much God loves the world, he put all the sin on the cross and he died. And on the third day, Jesus rose again. Hallelujah. Like a clap flam for Jesus. Please clap for Jesus. He rose again. Jesus deserves our praise because he defeated Satan. He defeated death. He defeated the cross. So no impediment anymore that will stop the flow of the love of God to anybody. No more hindrance. The only trouble is when Jesus rose from the dead, not everybody saw him. And it's one of the reasons I want to get to heaven to know why he did that. Because if I was the one, if I rose from the dead, I'll visit those people who killed me. I will visit them one by one. <laughs> you who scourged me. Jesus didn't do that. I have a fair idea of why he didn't do that. Because God does not desire the death of a sinner. And even on the cross, Jesus said, Forgive them, Lord, for they do not know what they're doing. They don't know. The love of God is so sympathetic to our human failings, our sins, our wickedness. And you can see, you can see, he can see that the amount of alcohol you're taking is going to damage your liver. And he's saying, oh, 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 this kid is going to kill himself. 
Oh, have mercy. Angels help him. He can see the drug shots you're taking, the cocaine. He can see, you're going to kill yourself. No one is going to kill you. You are killing yourself. He can see the anger, the bitterness, the hatred you're keeping in your heart. It's injuring you from inside. You're not a happy man. You look at everybody, you're frowning. Your face comes together and God can see you're hurting yourself. Let it go. Let it go. You don't know what you're doing. Let it go. Let it go. So that you can be free. That's why Jesus died on the cross. So that you should no longer carry the sin. You should no longer be carrying the weight of sin. You should no longer be carrying, I'll tell you this story. An old woman in Africa, it's an African story, goes to get firewood, and they usually would go about three miles to get firewood in the bush and come home. On this particular day, a young village boy who does a taxi with his pickup van, coming back, he saw this old woman carrying her firewood on her head. And he stopped. He had two passengers already in the front seat, so he said, Grandma, would you like to come into the car, into my pickup? I'll take you to the village, two miles away. She'd walked a mile already. She said, oh, my son, thank you so much. I'm so tired. I've been carrying this heavy firewood. So he took the firewood from her, put it in the pickup, helped Grandma get into the pickup. And he drove his pickup. As they were driving, he was taking a right turn, had to look in the mirror, and he saw the old woman carrying the firewood in the pickup. He stopped his car. He said, Grandma, why are you carrying it? And she said, oh, my son, I don't want to be such a trouble to you. I, you've done so much to help me, so I thought I should reduce your burdens by carrying it on my head. And he said to her, Grandma, if you carry it, you're carrying it for nothing. Just drop it. Both you and the firewood will get safely. You're not any weight to me. And there are many of us carrying such hurts and wounds. When Jesus is saying, drop it. Drop it. No need to carry it. No need to carry that, that anger. Yes, he's hurt you. He's hurt you deep. Jesus knows, but drop it here. Yes, they've killed your child, they've killed your son, they've killed your everything. Yes, drop it. They denied your promotion at work, you wouldn't talk to them again. Drop it. Oh, that church, they're terrible people. They've talked too much about me. Drop it. It doesn't matter what it is. Drop it. Because Jesus' death on the cross is capable of carrying you, your diseases, your sicknesses, your iniquities, all of it. The cross satisfies it all. Hallelujah. All of it. No need to carry it. For God so loved the world that he gave his son to carry your problems and more than that to carry you on eagle's wings. And so Nicodemus was hearing this truth for the first time. But Jesus does not stop there saying, all who believe in him, 
should not perish, but have everlasting life. It is true that when you come to Jesus Christ, you experience the love of God. It is absolutely true. Because you're set free, your heart is wide open to receive Jesus Christ, and you receive his love, and his peace and joy begins to come out of you. It is also true that when you receive Jesus Christ, your name is no longer on the death row. You're now beginning to live life because when you do receive Jesus Christ, you come to the point of being who God wants you to be. There's a re restoration of whatever sin, anger, and bitterness, and damage of evil and sa Satan have done to you, God restores you to who he wants you to be. But it is also true that when you now believe in Jesus and you believe in his name, something supernatural, the work of the Holy Spirit, begins to walk inside of you, overflowing your heart, your life and action with love in such a way that God loves people through you. This belief is a transformational belief. So when Paul writes to the Romans, he says, I appeal to you, my dear brethren, therefore, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is what the Holy Spirit does when you receive and believe in Jesus. Your heart is changed, your mind is transformed, and you become now an instrument through which God begins to love people through you. We just saw this evening how a young doctor, Hudson Taylor, responded to this love of God. He couldn't keep this love to himself. Somebody needs to share of this love. And somebody in China needs to hear and experience the love of God. From Scotland, some of the young men and women who came to Africa, they moved and took boats. And some of them even, instead of packing suitcases, they built their coffins. They built their coffins and put their clothes in it. In case they died, that's their home. They knew something that the world does not know because even if they lost their life in the effort of showing the love of God, they would still gain their lives with God. Hallelujah. Last week, people were admiring me in the U.S. They said, oh, Ben, oh, 16 hours of flight. My, that is terrible. You must be tired. Oh, we're sorry. Um, you're starting tonight. When I went to pray, the Lord told me clearly, I could hear his voice. He said, Ben, don't get carried away. 18 hours is nothing. Remember those missionaries who came to Nigeria? They spent six weeks in the high seas. Six weeks, my friends, of mosquito bites, uncertainty. And even when they arrived at the shores of West Africa, there was no custom, no police, 
no medicine, no government, no security, nothing. They went into the jungle to demonstrate the love of God. And here I am, 18 hours only. And I feel as though I've done something. I have done nothing. Those missionaries entered boats six weeks, eight weeks, 12 weeks. Many of them perished just to demonstrate the love of God, just like Jesus did. He died, but he rose again. And these missionaries died, but they will rise again. Hallelujah. They died, and their death is not for nothing. Otherwise, here am I. I'm a witness. We'll come to the point where in our Christian faith we are beginning to think, oh, it's not safe. It's not safe to go to Joss. It's not safe to go to Kano. It's not safe to go to Congo. It's not... Where? Tell me where is safe. Is it safe to be in South Carolina? Forgive my language, but please, that is something. Is it safe anywhere? I don't know any mission of God that is based on safety. It's not the first consideration. And God is calling us this week in New Horizon to broaden our vision. Because he's poured our lo his love unconditionally to us. How come we are creating conditions to show the love of God? In 1979, was this young girl, I was 78, I was in seminary. And we had gone to hospital visitation as part of our deputation um, as young seminarians. And Lassa fever had just fallen. And they had brought patients from my degree and into Vorm Hospital. And we were also afraid to go to the um, hospital for our hospital placement as students of the seminary. Because Lassa fever is a horrible fever. Yeah, if you come in contact with somebody with a Lassa fever, you get it and you die. Because up to now, no treatment for it. So... And it was my turn. But I, I asked, who is looking after the patients? And there was this young 18-year-old Nigerian girl. I was to later on find out her name was Caroline. A committed young Christian girl. She was a first-year nursing student. She stayed with those patients. They died and she died. She knew something the world doesn't know. For anyone who wants to save his life will lose it. She died. And it was a huge impact in my life from 78. I then knew that this life, the safest place to put it, is in the hands of a loving father who gave his only son to die on the cross. That's the way to live it. So that if you die, while demonstrating and showing the love of God, you go to be with Jesus. If you live, you live to be the conduit of giving out the love of God to the world. Whether you die or you live, you are in good business. You lose nothing. Love for Jesus.
And my friends, that is the way to live. That is the way to live. If you die, you go to be with Jesus. If you live, you walk for Jesus, giving out his love everywhere. And there is a need for the world in Europe to understand and experience the love of God today and now. Yesterday was the beginning. There should no longer be any inhibitions. No more conditionalities created by us because in chapter 3 of John's gospel, verse 16, simply says, For God so loved the world that he gave his son that whoever, no condition, whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God sent his son into the world not to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. And here we are this week experiencing the unconditional love of God and God is also looking down and waiting for us to become his hands and his feet. The conduit of carrying the love of God to everywhere, from everywhere, to everywhere. The young people are crying out because I think people my generation, my age, have missed it. We think that the solution to young people is to provide for them all the things that television advertises. They have got it all, but they're not satisfied. They're still asking the same questions. I remember selling a quarrel between a husband and a wife. And the man walks in the bank and he's bought her a car, bought everything, bought everything, but he was not there. And she was not satisfied. So whenever he came, after two weeks or one week or whatever time he came, it was quarrel, quarrel, quarrel. And he came to me and said, he doesn't know what this woman wants. He doesn't know what she wants. And I sat them both. And he told, began to tell what he has provided in the bank account. He told her he's sending her on holiday to the England with the children. He's told, she said, that is not what I want. I want my husband. We think the things of the world will satisfy. They don't. They want to know love, feel loved, and experience love. The young people are crying out. They want to know this love. And they are waiting for who will sit amongst them and show them truly that Jesus loves them. We are receiving the raw end in Africa because our children now, our young people now, nobody seems to understand them because internet is everywhere. Television is everywhere. Any channel you want on earth is available in Africa, in Nigeria especially. One day I came home and my three-year-old, then he was three years old, he said, Daddy, I said, yeah. He said, Daddy, I can bounce. I said, you can what? Bounce. That was a language I didn't know. In a bishop's house, you can bounce? I said, what do you mean by bounce? He said, watch me, daddy. I said, is that how to bounce? He said, yeah, I can do it the right side too. I said, son, I gave birth to you, normal and healthy. Here you are walking like an orthopedic patient. Is that bouncing? Where did you see it? He said, on the television. 
You can bounce. <laughs> children are caught up with all kinds of things. They're looking for children ministry. They're looking for all ages ministry. Mary Slesso began to know of Calabar at age eight in Nigeria at Sunday school. She knew of Calabar. So when she left the shores of, of, of Scotland at age 19 to Calabar, she doesn't know where Calabar was, but she got there in a time when women cannot be seen in public in Africa, in a time when women's voice should not be heard. And she went to Calabar, and on the seashore, she already saw twins being thrown around because twins were thought to be of evil spirit and they will kill their parents if they were allowed to live. And twins were thrown into the sea and Mary Slesso began to pick twins and they survived. She didn't talk much. She was quiet. She's a quiet person but then the whole of Calabar region, they said, this woman's evil spirit is more powerful than any other spirit. And so they brought her to the king. Come and explain to us what kind of spirit do you have? And she had the chance to preach the gospel and the kingdom turned to Jesus. The power of God is the love of God under control to save and not to destroy. Hallelujah. That's why we are here tonight. The world has made us come to the point to believe that the weakness of God is on the cross, but we know it is the power of God. And there are people who are ashamed to proclaim the love of Jesus Christ because they are ashamed to identify with the cross. Let me end with another story. There was this woman in a village in Africa who was newly married and they had a son and her husband was a driver. The son was three months old when he traveled and had an accident and died. So leaving this young widow with a son. After three months of the usual African way of looking after a young widow, people began to go back to their own homes and she had to begin to do her own chores herself. So she would wake up early in the morning leave her son in bed while he was sleeping to go and fetch water in the river and come back to come and put it on fire and bathe her son and look after him and do other things. One morning, as she went to the river to fetch water, as she was coming back, smoke was all over the town, the village. So she dropped her bucket and ran because she left her baby in bed. Indeed, as she came, some careless woman had left the thatched fence near fire. It caught, and of course, the roofs were all thatched. The whole roofs engulfed in fire. And before you would know it, the circle of the homes in the village, all that area was in fire. They tried to quench it, going to the river to fetch. Before you would come, the fire had gone bad. So she remembered her son and she cried, my son, they said, my dear, you can't go in. Look, the place is all on fire. She couldn't hold it. She tore loose and went into the fire and grabbed her son and came out. By the time she came out, she was so severely burnt, but her son was rescued. 
They took her to town and treated her, and she got better. But by now, she was looking a little bit bent, her face all burnt, no hair on her head, her hands and her legs, and her fingers were no longer straight. But she tried. She looked after this baby. And with the little farming, subsistence farming that she was doing, selling some of the produce of her farm, she was able to raise this child to go to school. Up to the point where the child was ready to go to boarding secondary school. And people were kind to her. The mission was kind to her. And the boy was on scholarship. He would come back home and she would ask about school and the boy was doing very well. But then by the third year, she said, I want to visit your school. And he said to her, no, mom, you cannot come to our school. You're not strong enough. But she insisted she wants to visit. She did. At the gate, she was asking of her son. So the gate man took her to the principal. And the principal said, and who are you? She said, she's the mother of such and such. He said, no, you can't be because your son told us that your, his mother was dead. She said, no, I'm his mother, I'm alive. So they called the boy. What did you say? Principal asked. He said, yes, my mother is dead. She said, son, did you say your mother is dead? She opened her bag, removed her wedding photograph, and showed it to the principal. She said, I'm his mother. His father died in a car crash. And she looked at this son and said to him, I know why you're ashamed of me. But look at this photograph. I've not always been ugly. I was a beautiful young lady. But there was a fire. And I had to rescue you. And all the fire burnt me instead of you. That's why I look like this. It was in order to rescue you that I look the way I do. Son, are you ashamed of me because I look like this? If I didn't rescue you, I wouldn't look like this. In arms together and everybody there, principal called everybody, they cried and they prayed and prayed. The boy looked at his mother and said, Mom, you did this for me? She said, yes. I'll never be ashamed of you again. We know the story now because he grew up to be a surgeon and treated his mother to the best that he could and gave the testimony. God so loves you that he sent his son to die on the cross. We're going to leave this place tonight no longer feeling shame of the cross. Because only through the cross can we touch people's lives with the love of God. And remember, any investment outside the love of Jesus Christ is a waste. It will not count in heaven. Only the love of God is celebrated forever in heaven. God has always loved the world. He's not abdicated his responsibilities. He loves the world and he loves the world so much that he gave his son Jesus. And you, who knows Jesus, need to go out now to touch the world with the love of God.
tonight, I'm going to invite you to come forward in, 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 in a moment of surrender to the Lord. To say, Lord, I want you to use me. To use me. To reach out. Some of you may be going to China or to Moscow or to Africa or to anywhere. But you've got to offer yourself. Say, Lord, reach me. Reach the world through me. I know your love. I offer your love to the world. I want the world to know your love. And you're going to stand and say, Lord, here I am in Ireland, Northern Ireland, in England. Lord, Use me. Let the world know the love of God through me. And I'll invite you to come forward if the Lord so touches your heart. Let us pray. The prayer team will join me now so that we pray for these people who will come forward in total surrender to God. Lord, use me. Here I am. Use me. Make your prayer and let the Lord use you. All to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely I will ever love and trust him in his presence daily. I surrender. If the Lord is moving your heart, come forward now and let us pray together. Just come forward right here. All to Thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender. God bless you. Come quickly. I surrender. I surrender. Oh, I surrender. My blessed Savior, I surrender. If you're coming at the back, please could you come quickly? Thank you. Let's come. Let's pray together. The Lord is calling. He's looking for his hands. He's looking for his foot. He's looking for the minds through which he will flow to reach out with the love of God to the world.